in the morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment of the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news Dateline New York, the Brooklyn Nets officially named Jacques Vaughn head coach Wednesday. Vaughn's promotion comes with a deal through 2023-24. He had been the interim since replacing former coach Steve Nash. The move comes as a surprise given that many inside the league and some within the organization thought the suspended Boston Celtics coach and former Nets assistant Amy Adoka would take over for Nash. You like this move um, instead of going with the uh, the uh, embattled Boston former coach? No, it's no fun. If you're going to lean into being a heel, <laughs> lean all the way into being a heel, right? If you're Joe Sy and Sean Marks at the leadership of the uh, don't call them New Jersey Nets, then go ahead and be the villain. No, seriously, though, I, I don't understand why Jock Vaughn wants in on this circus because right. Jock Vaughn's been an NBA head coach, right? He's seen what's up with this organization. And by the way, they gave him what essentially amounts to a year and a half contract. If I'm getting in on this thing, I'm getting in and saying, no, no, you give me three or four years because I don't want to be in a situation where when Kevin Durant wants out after this season, we have to get rid of Kyrie Irving for nothing and we're going to rebuild this whole thing. I don't want to be the first one out the door. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Oh, another surprise in Indianapolis. Colts interim coach Jeff Saturday is expected to have 30-year-old pass game specialist assistant quarterbacks coach Parks Frazier serve as the offensive play caller starting Sunday against the Raiders, sources told Tom uh, Pelissaro. Uh, well, we haven't talked about this, Jeff Saturday. I know you guys had a, a great guest on Cofield yesterday about this entire Jeff Saturday situation. Let's go over th- a few things here. Jim Irsay... <laughs> Where do you put him in, in the line of doing things like this? And what was your first reaction to Jeff Saturday? My first reaction to Jeff Saturday was, sure, why not? Because everything else with this franchise has been such a mess of late. It's not all that different than what they've done at quarterback. And that goes back to the top with Ursay, And I don't think it necessarily reflects on Chris Ballard quite the same way. Think about what they've done the last few years. Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and now Sam Ellinger. And it's been a change every single year. And Frank Reich was the one to survive all of these things. He wasn't the problem. Frank Reich wasn't the problem. And you're about to see that this week as they take on the Raiders. Frank Reich was not the problem. So my thought was, yeah, sure. Why not? Because this is the way that Ursay has been running the Colts the last few years. And I think that the uh, word Rick Ventura used yesterday was to say, um, I don't want to say it was impulsive. Yeah, I'm not sure if it, I think it was impulsive uh, about Ursay. Uh, now he lets the 30 year old call plays. Uh, I I was surprised maybe John Fox wasn't. Now, again, I'll, I guess I'll give him this. And I heard yesterday he was, you know, he came in and made an adamant decision right away. And whether that's good or not, we'll see on Sunday. But let's go to the other side of the ledger. The Raiders can't lose this game. I mean, yeah, I mean we're going to say know, they can, but they can't, right? They can't. The Raiders cannot lose this game. I mean, look. We said that about how many Raiders games so far this year? There's been a lot of must wins. Yeah, I mean, there there have been a lot of musts and not a lot of wins. Like, that's been the problem for the Raiders thus far. And so, no, when you look at the circumstances and say you have this wounded team that has scored a grand total of 19 points in the last two weeks with a rookie quarterback making his third ever start with a brand new head coach and more than a 30-year-old offensive coordinator, Parks? You ever met anybody named Parks? 
No. There you go. Can't lose the parks. Next question. Brittany Griner has moved to a Russian penal colony, exa- uh, colony exact location unknown. He's, she's being transferred uh, this uh, Friday over the last two days. Her lawyers don't know where she is or where she's heading. Her Russian legal team announced early Wednesday in Moscow. The transfer began on Friday, a day after the U.S. NBC, NBC officials visited her and far ahead of the schedule that had anticipated after Griner's appeal was denied. Typically, her attorneys said the transfer takes weeks or months. Griner's attorneys and U.S. officials were not aware she had been moved until Thursday. This is uh, her family's worst nightmare, according to her lawyer's notification to given via official mail and normally takes up to two weeks received. Penal colonies are known to have far harsher conditions than the Moscow jail where Griner has been since she was detained in February. Um, President said the other day he's working hard to get her back. Uh, This is a bad situation. I I don't know. I I think this is going to be a long time. Uh, You know, wait till the election's over. It's, you know. Uh, all the votes are counted and all of that and seeing who's in there in terms of um, uh, people who might be able to help her out. But I just think this is a terrible situation for her. So Las Vegas Aces win the WNBA championship this year and they're celebrated as the first professional sports uh, championship in Las Vegas. And I think when you factor in what the WNBA has become, you look at this and say, why are we not thinking of this the same way we would be if it were LeBron James, if it were Mike Trout? It's well, a, right? a great point about LeBron like, James. Can you imagine if it were the star athlete in another professional sport who were in this situation and the sort of uproar and the sort of daily coverage on ESPN that this would be? Uh, that's kind of what where I'm at you know, with Brittany Griner, who is being sent into the unknown without her lawyers even knowing what's going on. I mean, at the beginning of this, the very, very, very beginning of this, I looked at it and said, well, you know, okay, well, she did have the marijuana oil and this and that. She's being sent to a penal colony and her lawyers have no idea about it. We have so far exceeded any sort of sense of rationality with this, and I don't think it's getting nearly enough attention commensurate to what a professional athlete from the United States should be getting. Great question. Uh, this was could have been a lot worse, but it was bad anyway. Uh, Edmonton Oilers Evander Kane out three to fun, four months after the skate blade cut his wrist. Um, uh, on his left wrist by a skate blade, the team announced the injury occurred during Edmonton's 3-2 win at Tampa Bay on Tuesday night. Kane got tangled with lightning defenseman Philippe Myers just inside the Edmonton defensive zone and was on the ice was cut by Tampa Bay forward Pat Maroon skate blade three minutes, 20 seconds into the second. He was transported to a hospital and underwent a procedure Tuesday night. The team placed him on long-term injured reserve Wednesday. Kane signed a four-year $20.5 million contract with the Oilers in the offseason, has five goals and eight assists over 13 games on the season. Did you see any of this? I saw the replay, and it it was bad, obviously. Uh, we remember what happened to Alex Martinez last year with the Golden Knights. We've heard other things in terms of hockey injuries and, and skate blades and how dangerous it can be. Lindsay actually said yesterday uh, college players she knew had to wear the neck brace or some kind of neck uh, contraption to to cover them there. But did you see this? And this looked really – this again, it looked like it'd be worse, but it was pretty bad to begin with. Heard about it, Ed. Didn't see it. And for anyone old enough to have watched hockey in the last three decades uh, – if you know the name Clint Malarchuk, mm-hmm. you know why I will never, ever watch a skate blade injury again. And if you haven't uh, ever seen the Clint Malarchuk injury, then at, at your own peril and on a good, settled stomach, take a look at the 
NHL goaltender who had his throat cut by a skate blade. Would you be Would you be up for these guys wearing protective uh, uh, neck brace? Not uh, brace is the wrong word, but some kind of uh, protective thing around their necks. Look, man, I'm for anything that protects the players in the NHL. I grew up with hockey in the era where helmets were not mandated. I remember it was a big deal when helmets first came in, when guys were shamed for wearing visors uh, uh, when they first started doing it. And, and think about the kind of injuries that have been avoided by all of these protective safety measures. I get that the skate blade thing is a little bit over the edge compared to other injuries that these things protect from, but we should never be talking about preventable injuries in a sport right. as violent right. as hockey. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. All Aaron Rodgers talked about Wednesdays were the good times and fond memories he had during 12-plus seasons with Mike McCarthy as Green Bay coach. Roger said the relationship has continued even though McCarthy is in his third season as coach of the Cowboys who come to Lambeau on Sunday. It'll be McCarthy's first game against his former team. This was Rogers. I think as time goes by, the gratitude for that time as you look back on the journey of your career goes up a little bit. I appreciate the little things a little more because of really the game and life is a journey. I'll always be tied to him because of that connection that we had together. Obviously, my longest tenured coach, my longest tenured play caller. I'm thankful for those years and thankful maybe a little bit more now as years go by. Do we believe anything this guy says? No, he's he's junior Kyrie Irving at this point, right. right? Like he wants us all to listen to the crazy things he has to say, but then when things aren't going his way, he wants to rail against everybody and say, "Why are you looking at me?" And right now, this whole thing with McCarthy, I don't believe for a second. I don't either. No, and I don't buy it because we know what it was like at the end with McCarthy. And if Aaron Rodgers really still wanted Mike McCarthy there, then he would have been. Now I get that he's saying all right, well, with time, with hindsight, I look back and maybe things weren't as bad. And I think we've all had relationship situations uh, professionally and personally that are like that. But why would we have any reason to believe what this guy has said? I mean, he has taken over the course of two years what was one of the best reputations in the NFL and summarily flushed it down the drain to the point where we don't buy anything he says. Valid question for sure. People are cheating at cornhole. Cornhole World Tra- Yes. Can you believe this? This is, uh, I tell you what, man, people, <laughs> I, I don't like people, and maybe this is the reason why. At the Cornhole World Championships in the finals, one team accused the other of using illegal beanbags. <laughs> After the check, they were found to be too small, so the team caught with illegal beanbags asked for their opponent's bags to be checked. Guess what? They were also too small. An hour delay ensued before officials determined what the violations were not intentional and decided to continue the competition for the $15,000 cash prize. First, we've got chess, the chess lunatics cheating. Then those fishing nut jobs who are putting weights in fish. Those guys were by far the best, the fishing the fishing guys putting the weights in the fish. And now Cornhill has, Cornhole has cheating controversies. I say the fishing's the worst. The, the chess... I, I don't even know how you – we found out where uh, he was putting the buzzer, and I, I don't even know how he got away with that, uh, never mind how he cheated at that. Uh, but the cornhole, if they both had small bean bags, and God bless them, uh, let them go. But I, I got to believe you also think the fishing was the worst. Ed, the cruelty of you making me talk about this story <laughs> on what needs to be family-safe <laughs> airwaves – is absolutely reprehensible. The fact that I have to talk about why these guys' beanbags were too small and not be able to say half the things I want to say. Ah, all right. Oh, what's the worst of all of them? It is absolutely the fishing guys. Yes. There's honor in fishing. This is a sport that is built around sitting in a boat and drinking. And I can't think of anything that we would be more upset about violating than the sanctity 
of an American tradition, like being able to sit around and drink, and you're going to screw that up by putting extra weights in my fish? I, sir, I, as a young man in New York, I have won the pool on multiple boats for catching the best fish of the day. Really? The biggest and Good heavy. for you. When I was eight years old, I won it. Did my stepdad take the money and spend it on beer? Yes. Yup. yes but I still won. I still won. And I know there is honor. There is absolute, unquestioned honor around catching the biggest fish. And you, sir, cornhole cheats will never measure up to that. You got to put your mic on. I wasn't in program one, so I could talk to Candy. Uh, two <laughs> things about this. First of all, it is the greatest story that one team called out the other team for cheating when they were doing the exact same thing. Yeah, with a small bean bag. That's phenomenal. But also, cornhole, it's like fishing, but on land. You always have a beer in your non-throwing hand so that you can have even weight distribution to be able to toss the bean bag. Well, yes, but here's the, here's the difference, Danny. In cornhole, it is encouraged for you to talk to each other. Right. Right? You're, it's assumed that it's like at a tailgate and we're having fun. But here's what's truly sanct among fishing. We don't have to talk. The whole idea is don't scare the fish. What do men like more than sitting around saying nothing, drinking, and trying to outdo each other? That's, That's true. way better than cornhole. It's very true. Is it sad I uh, had the kids uh, give a little uh, sign one way or the other at second base for a, a changeup or a fastball? Does this, oh. does, this, does, this, does this qualify as touch your touch your helmet if it's a if it's a change up and you know touch your uh, touch your uh, leg if it's a fastball? Oh my God, Ed! You're they were only eight. Say, they were only you, eight. You can't say anything to Tyler about the Astros ever again. <laughs> I know. I know. That's a th- th- those guys uh, dynasty or cheating scandal. Before we get to Post Malone, will they always? I asked. I asked this question the other day. He didn't want to answer it. Maybe he did. Will they always, no matter what they do, and we see Verlander this morning didn't pick up his option, so he's a free agent. No matter what they do, will that always hang over their heads or has it been gone now? It 100% will always hang over their heads for two reasons. One, because the core guys involved in it are still there. Because you're still talking about Bregman and Altuve and the fact that this franchise, secondly, never apologized for a second None of them were ever punished, and none of them showed even the first little bit of remorse for what they did. And so in the eyes of everybody out there in baseball world, it's always going to be a stain on them. I saw Jason Stark write a column saying, deal with it, they're a dynasty. No, you deal with the fact that they're cheaters and people like you in the media never caught them. Good stuff there. Candy's on on point today. All right, more tickets. Post Malone, more tickets. Now, the concert is tomorrow night at 8 p.m. at T-Mobile Arena, so if you're going to call in, be sure you can get to that concert tomorrow night, November 11th, 8 p.m. Uh, 702-364-1100. Post Malone, two tickets to tomorrow night. Danny, what call are you on? Let's go with caller number 11. Call, oh boy, Danny really wants to answer these calls today. Caller number 11 right now, 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. It's Post Malone tomorrow night at T-Mobile Arena. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. It's Ben Brown here with us with his weekly spot, Pro Football Focus. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Looking forward to this game on Thursday Night Football. But, uh, yeah, definitely can't complain, that's for sure. All right, let's get right to it. Who do you like on Thursday? 
I do like the Falcons. I think they're kind of getting healthy, obviously, with their running game uh, and the you know weather concerns. I would say I think they stack up pretty well, you know, offensively. Uh, and if the in, and if the weather concerns kind of impact you know the passing game, I think that kind of plays into their strengths as well. So minus two and a half. Uh, I'm I'm riding with the road favorite here on Thursday Night Football, and I think the Falcons are going to you know win, and they might win pretty handily just based on you know uh, I would say quarterback performance from the Carolina Panthers side of things. Ben, when we talked about uh, potentially betting the Falcons to win the NFC South a few weeks ago, I was basically asking you if it was crazy. And now let's take the numbers out of it and not talk about just from a betting perspective, just from where the Falcons are, where the Bucks are, and I guess maybe where the Saints are. Do you think the Falcons have a reasonable chance to win the NFC South? I very much think so. I think, you know, where we kind of sit right now, uh, we have them with, you know, basically a 25% chance of winning that division. I think if you had asked, uh, you know, in the preseason, that would have been not only laughed at, but, you know, considered crazy talk. But they have very much, I would say, you know, outperformed expectations. They have, you know, the second easiest remaining strength of schedule. So, uh, you know, very much if, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers can't put things together, uh, you know, Atlanta is very much going to be uh, a legitimate contender to them actually repeating as, you know, NFC South division champion. So I like it. It's it's no longer crazy. And I do think it's, you know, uh, a, you know a, a one in four possibility that we actually end up seeing them, you know, win the NFC South division when it's all said and done. What are you doing with Josh Allen this week? You staying away from that game? Um, I am kind of, yeah, I think. I think if there was, like, you know, obviously the quarterback injury situations can be key for a few teams, but, you know, I think Josh Allen brings, you know, an outsized impact to that offense, not only throwing, but also kind of rushing the football, right? And I do think that, you know, without him kind of providing that threat in the running game, we're going to see a pretty stagnant overall offense. And I think that's somewhat concerning. So I'm I'm kind of avoiding it. I think, you you know, you're very much not getting, you know, the best of the number on the Viking side of things. Uh, I think if, you know, Josh Allen is for sure out, we'd probably see it move through three, um, you know, and maybe that provides an opportunity to buy on the bills. But uh, I think it's probably too late to do anything on the Viking side. And I'm, you know, probably not comfortable starting Case Keenum, even in a revenge game, uh, you know, as a minus two and a half point favorite still. So uh, maybe it's a spot you can look in game. But outside of that, uh, there's just there's just not a lot there, I would say, right now, given the current state of the spread. Ben, we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about overs kind of making a bit of a comeback versus where they were earlier in the year. And because of that, I have to ask you about Denver and Tennessee sitting at 36 and a half right now. Um, It's just so painful to look at that number. But if we get the Denver offense we've seen, if we get Malik Willis again, is that crazy? I honestly, I mean, I think it is kind of crazy, and I would definitely lean towards the over. I know everyone, you know, when we see really high-quality defenses, you know, we do get these really low totals, but in some ways, you know, those those defenses are very much capable of generating, you know, big plays either either with a big turnover or even like an interception return for a touchdown. And, 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 and the Tennessee Titans, even though they run at, you know, one of the highest, if not the highest rates, you know, uh, on early down situations, Derrick Henry has been definitely breaking off big type chunk run plays. And I think that if you see, you know, one or two of those swings, 36.5 is just way too low of a number in that case. So I would lean towards the over, you know, I, I think um, the mentality is the, the really strong defense is just going to stop scoring, but you know, we've seen them, you know, in, in some ways also generate big plays for them, for the offense and for the scoring and those sorts of things. So if those two things kind of happen, uh, you know, 36.5 is going to fall quickly. So I would lean towards the over. I'm just, 
You know, it, it's way too low a num- of a number, I would say, outside of some, you know, weather concerns uh, at this point in the season. So I, I could easily be wrong on that. I could be wrong on the macro trend, but uh, it's still a spot that I'd be playing the over for sure. Uh, game here in, in Las Vegas has a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, sidebar storylines this thing, beginning with Jeff Saturday. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on this before we get to the game, and I think the number's like five and a half right now. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what happened there. Uh, he, he has the 30-year-old now calling plays. Um, what were your original thoughts on this, and you know how, how does this affect? I assume Jeff Saturday just goes in if he's smart and just lets his coordinators take the first game uh, in terms of what they've been doing. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's definitely what the hope has to be, right? But they also fired their offensive coordinator. I think you know Frank Reich specifically heavily involved in in not only like the play calling duties, but also like the play design, everything else, getting getting them set on the scripted plays as well. And and, and they don't really have you know a guy that I think is like really seamlessly going to be able to take over that thing. So when you don't have you know the offense is very much still in flux. I think it's I think it's definitely concerning. I think that you know. The the idea or you know approach has to be the Colts are very much looking to secure you know a top three draft pick and kind of start over and and, and I do think we're going to see you know some potential blowouts uh, you know with them being on the wrong side of it here towards the end of the season I think that is very much going to be you know a, a, an aspect of you know lack of preparation or lack of ability to generate successful offense because there's just not enough people in the building who who, who are kind of capable of doing that I would say so. I'm concerned. I think that, you know, the Colts, I feel like as an organization probably took a step back, if not a couple steps back here, you know, moving on from Frank Reich in the way that they did uh, and kind of the approach that they seem to be moving towards. So uh, I think that it speaks to, you know, a a situation where the the organization is very much uh, in chaos right now. And that's just not a spot that I'd want to buy into whatsoever. So uh, must win game for the Raiders. Yes. The, The Raiders five and a half. They can't cover that. They need to cover. Yeah, I mean, it's five and a half, six now. I mean, even if they don't cover, even if something weird happens at the end, if they don't win this game, it's very much, you know, I would say, uh, you know, know, a pretty big indictment on where Josh McDaniels is leading this organization right now, I would say. So Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus joined us here on the Press Box. Ben, we talked about this a little bit on another program. Um, we talked about the Raiders as a team and how to approach them from a betting perspective. When we talk about preparation, you have Josh McDaniels with an offense that has gone out three times this year and taken a three-score lead that has lost all of those leads. I know football is all about small sample sizes when it comes to betting, but you don't think that sample size is too small to say maybe you fade the Raiders once they get ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think, you know, for this specific matchup, I just don't think that the Colts have enough offensively to be able to put up, you know, 17, 20 points or whatever it's going to take to come back from that. So I think it's a spot where, you know, maybe maybe the Raiders, you know, instead of trying to, like, fade them if they do get ahead, maybe maybe the idea is that they are, you know, maybe better on some of those scripted pass plays and scripted plays to kind of start the game when they are actually getting, you know, Devontae Adams in the fold. So maybe it's a spot where you, you, tar- you target them more on, like, the first half uh, line or spread and kind of expect them to continue to maybe jump out some of these early leads and then and, and then you're not you're not really sweating out the the third and fourth quarter comebacks with the, with the secondary that you know I would say is is really not performing up to expectation right now so that would kind of be my approach more so than uh, you know actively fading them on the on the full game spread or anything like that. 
All right, we did it last week with you. We're going to do it this week. You're going to try to help someone win some money. This has just been a disaster all year. No spreads. All you got to do is pick the winners. This is just we're tr- we're trying to give away a ton of money here. Uh, we'll give you three games, no spreads. I think I know the first one. Indy at Raiders. Yeah, I'm going Raiders again. I mean, I have to. That <laughs> I was my so. one miss. That was my miss last week, right? So uh, I'm trying to remember the other two games, but it was it was Tampa last week, wasn't Tampa? it? And you know, you know who else was that I think everyone missed was Buffalo. Right, right, yeah, definitely, definitely. That was, I mean, it's tough to win. It's tough to win when when they're included and they don't actually come through for victory. So I get it. I get it with the fans at that point. But Cowboys, so I'll definitely take the Raiders in the first the first game. Cowboys at Packers. For sure, for sure. And the lock of the week. Oh, okay, uh, good. And then Cardinals at Rams. This one's tricky, but I yeah. kind of I'm I'm leaning in the Cardinals direction in that one. Okay. I know you know there's still some like injury concerns with Matthew Stafford. I know his hand got banged up last week, also in concussion protocol. Uh, the line's definitely moved in the Cardinals direction. I think that you know they've relied on a few big plays defensively, but uh, early on in the games, I think they've been pretty good offensively as well. And with DeAndre Hopkins getting some targets, uh, I think the Cardinals can potentially win this game. So I'm going Cardinals with that third pick for sure. Thanks for helping them out. We hope it works. We hope we can give this money away. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. All right, there you go. It's Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. When we come back, he's here. It's Millsy Millard. Darren on deck. Moose, you just keep on moosing. This doesn't concern you. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Millsy Millard. Hello, Darren. What's happening, buddy? Uh, well, uh, no Bischoff today. What are you going to do with this nonsense? Well, I can tell that he's just uh, decided that he can't come on today due to the fact that the Golden Knights are rolling oh. in such a fashion that there's nothing he can come up with that could possibly be even remotely negative. So he's just <laughs> failed. He's, he's, he's thrown in the towel. That's what's happened today. I don't know about that. Yesterday he said, break up the third line and put Kessel as a healthy scratch. <laughs> he's always got something going. Yes, he's always got something going. Uh, you, you can't win You can't win 18 nothing with all 18 skaters winning. That, They're scoring. It's you're right. just not going to happen. You're right. Uh, here with Adam today. We'll talk about that real quick. Um, you know, look, I mean, you look at the lines and maybe the third line's not doing what the others are, but 12-2, and two, and Adam and I said earlier, uh, until this... And they're not going to go, you know, although Degenerate Danny's got them 22-2, and two, so uh, we're not going to go that far. <laughs> um, but they're going to lose some games, and they're going to, you know, they're going to go through some stretches. But at this point, you're, you're Bruce Cassidy. I, I don't change a thing. I just keep getting behind the bench and, and, and coaching and, and, and hoping it goes as it's going. Yeah, what, like why would you switch things up? And they, they, they changed the lines earlier. Uh, when Keith Golasar got sick, because they were forced to to go down that path, but when he got healthy again, uh, they they put him uh, back in. But yeah, uh, why why would you fiddle with the thing? Is the old uh, adage right? If it's if it's not broken, uh, why try and fix it? Uh, don't don't outsmart yourself in, in that regard. And uh, I think Kessel still uh, looked uh, really good on the power play, which uh, the last three games has been uh, deadly. Uh, with with its performance, uh, both units uh, with the uh, with the band advantage. So no, I, there's there's not a chance that I'm fiddling with this thing right now. If it's me, uh, I'm riding this thing until she bucks me off. 
Well, speaking of feeling bucked off, the uh, the Buffalo fans feel that way, Darren. The Buffalo fans hey. still feel that way when it comes to Jack Eichel. Uh, they, they were letting their vitriol be known on social media just this morning about how uh, how excited they are for this game tonight. Uh, what sort of environment do you expect in Buffalo? And, and how do you feel about the way that uh, the Buffalo fans still approach this thing with Jack? I, I think it's uh, fitting. Uh, they lost their star player, and I'd be mad too if I lost my star player uh, be, because of uh, a dispute between the hockey club and, and the athlete. Uh, that that's well within their right, and if anything, it adds to uh, a, an intense environment for a regular season game that's going to be fun to watch. There's there's a reason why ESPN picked up tonight's game as a national game. Uh, and it's not because uh, they they love showing the Buffalo Sabers uh, on, on national <laughs> television. Uh, it, it, it's because of this this rivalry and and uh, the relationship between between Jack Eichel. So uh, I think it's it's fun for the fans, and uh, why not show their their emotion uh, out, out there? Now, now I will say this that uh, that it's the perfect game to wrap up a five-game road trip in which everything's gone right. like To me, this would be one of those games where you've got all the points in the bank, everybody wants to get home, uh, and it'd be easy to look past this game. That's not going to happen for Vegas because of the fans, because of Jack, uh, because of uh, the history. Uh, because they didn't win last year uh, when they were they were so beat up and didn't have their best game certainly that night uh, for what was uh, an intense game. Uh, I think this uh, the absolute great uh, setup for Vegas to be able to bring their best uh, to wrap up this road trip and try to go five for five. So it works for Buffalo, and I think it works out really good for for Bruce Cassidy's side. Can it be counterproductive if you're too emotional for Jack Eichel tonight? Uh, I, I think he learned a lot from last year, Ed. Uh, that, you're right. It, it, it can work against you. Uh, but the, the, the part about going through it once, and I, I think it worked against him last year. Uh, I think there was some, some uh, certainly uh, uh, distracted uh, play in, in his side last year. And um, maybe the whole team got kind of caught up in it uh, a little bit too. It was a much different environment for Vegas last year, where they were just clinging with fingernails, uh, trying to hold on to the season. Uh, but now he's been through it once, and and I think he's got some swagger back in him. We've seen that this year in his individual play, and he rolls in uh, with an eight-game winning streak and this this incredible record to start the season at 12-2. and two. And it just so happens that, that Buffalo slipped back from a good start and, and they've lost three in a row. So I, I think that, uh, that you'll see uh, that, uh, that ultimate Jack Eichel swagger, uh, certainly more uh, optimistic about seeing that than, uh, than being distracted tonight. 9.34 save percentage. More than three and a half goals saved above average in nine starts. I know it's all small sample sizes when we talk about Logan Thompson, Darren, but it, it kind of feels to me like the question has been settled as to whether Logan Thompson can do enough to be the starting goaltender for a team that is going to make noise in, not only in the regular season, but hopefully in the postseason. Well, Adam, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll further your small sample size. 
and and add on to it here. He had 20 starts coming into this year. This is nine now. So he's basically played a third of his career to start this year. So, yeah, it's a small sample size, but it's also a big sample size for him. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting how he's been able to keep it going. And the 20 starts, like he got better through those 20 starts. Uh, towards the end of last year with his confidence. And what he's been able to do uh, has been impressive in not uh, allow the other team to gain momentum. Uh, the, the most serious goal would have been that one in Ottawa, which wasn't, I, I don't call it a bad goal. I call it just one of the strangest hops of all time, uh, the quirkiest goals. Uh, sure, you'd like to stop that thing, but uh, but he hasn't let in one of those ones where a guy shoots from the sideboards and you go, how'd that go in? And the other night against uh, Toronto was, was a great example of uh, Austin Matthews had 11 shot attempts. Doesn't score. Does, he, does uh, Austin Matthews have a great look? Two of them, uh, certainly from the power play and one on a broken play, but no traffic in front and he's able to make those saves. John Tavares had eight shot attempts and, and he's the hottest Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, Logan comes up with the with the big saves uh, on, on those those shot attempts. He's making every save that he should, Adam. Which uh, sounds easy, and I've said this before, but it's hard to do all the time. And and that's been the most impressive part uh, in in watching Logan Thompson this year is to be able to do what he's supposed to do all the time. Because I have trouble with it all the time. And, uh, and and I'm not a professional athlete. I'm just living my life, and I have trouble doing the right thing. What do you do? Uh, Laurent Rossois gave up nine and four periods during his uh, conditioning stint. Grigolim remains on IR. Maybe he's just not right at this point. Um, but it seemed if he would have gone down there, it might have solved some of their problems. That maybe you know there's trade bait there, um, but he didn't. So. Do you, do you think he's still not right? I mean, what what do you what do you do with LeBron Basal right now? Just keep him on IR. Well, if uh, if he's not right, then that's the advantage of being on long term uh, uh, injury uh, assignment uh, and and going on down there and and trying it out. Is you don't have to activate him right. when he comes back. You give it a shot, and if it's not perfect, then uh, then you stay on on LTIR, which is exactly the way that the program should work. Like, this guy wants to play. Uh, he, he's done all the work over the course of the summer, and, and he wants to get back into it. He's in a contract year, and he wants to get out there and, and show that uh, that he's going to be uh, uh, attractive to, to either the Golden Knights or another organization next year. So it's in his best interest to get back out there and play. It's what's not in his best interest if it's not perfect, and and he's not ready to play, and he needs a little bit more time, a little more uh, uh, seasoning or rehab or whatever uh, course of action that he requires. So uh, from from the looks of it, uh, it, it may be a case where he needs a, a little bit uh, more uh, runway on on the rehab part of it. But the other the other side of it is I, I've seen a ton of goalies uh, go down to the American Hockey League. And struggle like NHL goalies go down and struggle just because it's not as predictable in the American Hockey League as it is in the National Hockey League. I think that gap has tightened 
significantly over the years, uh, but uh, but I have seen it before. Uh, but in watching the highlights, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he just uh, takes a little bit more time to get things right. You mentioned earlier, Darren, the power play, which of course was such a touch point uh, last yeah. year, even into the season before. What has changed other than the obvious, which is health, and you know you have a Jack Eichel playing at the level that he's playing. But overall, do you see anything fundamental that's changed with the power play that's allowed them to be middle of the pack this year uh, in terms of converting? Well, go to the go to the middle. Uh, right there is uh, they're using that bumper uh, approach where they put uh, instead of uh, having five guys around the rink or behind the goal line, which is uh, a newer approach. Uh, they're putting uh, the the one player right in the middle of the hash marks, and they're using that as a go between or a high tip shot or as a one time option, and that's been effective. Uh, I've I've loved that style. You just you really need the right player to be able to play in there. Uh, T.J. Oshie of Washington is phenomenal at it. Uh, Patrice Bergeron in Boston, uh, and then you go Boston. Boston to Vegas, Bruce Cassidy, and uh, who does he have? Uh, William Carlson and and Mark Stone. The other part about the power play, Adam, is they've moved Jack Eichel uh, from one side to the other, and that's opened things up slightly. He's, he's playing on his offside, and that uh, that's never happened since the U.S. program. Uh, so all of his, his one year in college, and his entire professional career, he hasn't played on the, on on the right side, and and that's been a big difference. Uh, and you got to have uh, trust that the players going to want to do that. And and they've been able to to open it up in the last uh, three games uh, with him over there. Uh, it's it's been noticeable. It's it's a major tweak. Probably not not noticeable for the fans because he's still out there. He's still doing his thing on the power play. And players do move around a little bit during the cycle of a man advantage, but he is starting over on that uh, that right side, which is uh, on, on a one-time option. Uh, gives them uh, when you're working the puck down low or from the uh, from the bumper spot, opens things up uh, a lot more. Finally, you had Tuck on the chirp. I did have. I had both Jack and Tuck nice. on the uh, nice. on, on the chirp this uh, this week. Uh, I talked to Jack during the player media tour, and I caught up with uh, with Tuck uh, this week. That's awesome, buddy. Follow him on he's, Twitter. Uh, How is Tuck? Well, I just want to tell you, he's willing to jump off a truck onto a table if the Buffalo Bills oh. win the Super Bowl. Boy, he's really bought in. Yeah, he is. And he said he wasn't a Buffalo Bill fan. I don't want to give it all away. Go listen to it. Uh, but uh, but he was really engaging and uh, and. He, I, I, I admire him. He went from one of the old guys, uh, sort of the young guys in, in Vegas, to one of the old guys there, and he's done a nice job. Listen to him on all the Vegas Golden Knights TV broadcasts, co-host of the VGK Insider Show, host of the Chirp. He does it all with the Golden Knights. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate it, Darren. It's been nice not having any yeah, adversarial exactly. uh, conversation today. Darn right. We're all positive here in the press box. <laughs> See you, buddy. See you, buddy. Uh, that's Darren Millard, uh, Millsy Millard, every, here, every Thursday here. All right. Here we go. Friday Football Friends Day. $1,000 to give away. No spreads. $1,000 sponsored by Dollar Loan Center offering signature loans up to $5,000. Stop by one of their 34 locations in Las Vegas and Anderson. Caller 4. 702-364-1100. Danny wants Degenerate wants Caller 4. He'll give you the games and we'll talk about it when we come back. 
It's the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. Friday Football Frenzy, sponsored by Dollar Loan Center, offering signature loans up to $5,000. Stop by any one of their 34 locations, Dollar Loan Center in Las Vegas and Henderson. All right, we have our player. Trevor's on the line. Trevor, 1000 bucks on the line, buddy, 1000 bucks. I hope you thought about these games in the break. Uh, you got to give us a winner here. Come on now. Let's get let's get this money uh, paid out. Uh, oh. You ready? I'm ready. All right, buddy. Here we go. Indy at the Raiders, and if you don't go the other one, one way, we're really worried about you. I'm going to pick the Raiders. they got to get a win at some point. <laughs> they are playing a guy who's never coached above high school. Uh, Cowboys at Packers. Uh, got to be the Cowboys on that one. All right. And here's one that might be a little tricky. We're not going to sure so sure about the quarterback situation. So Cardinals at Rams. Uh, they both look terrible. I'm going to go with the Rams on that. Okay, you're going to go Rams at home. All right, buddy. Raiders, Cowboys, Rams. Thousand bucks on the line, Trevor. Watch them closely, and we hope to give you the money. Thanks, bud. Sounds great. Take care. Uh, there's Trevor. Uh, what do you think, Adam? I'll tell you what, Ed. He made the picks I would have made, which, of course, means he's going to lose. I'm looking at this. Okay, the Cowboys are at Lambeau. Rams are at home. I think I would have made these picks. You don't know about you don't know about the. Uh, it's the, the Rams situation. thing. It's the Rams thing. That's the leak for me. That's the one I'm worried about. I'm yeah. I'm worried that Kyler Murray does what he did at the end of a close game to the Raiders to the Rams. Danny, is Trevor going to win the thousand? I don't think so. Really? Oh, I come on. Like I'm, I'm rooting for him, but I personally would have picked the Cardinals in this situation because, because of the quarterback situation. Yeah, it's just so unknown. Like in my fantasy league, I had to, I have Stafford and Cousins. Stafford's hurt. I don't trust Cousins against the Bills, so I had to go and pick up a quarterback. So I, I don't know if if Stafford practices today, maybe he plays, but concussions. A little difficult. Friday Football Friends, remember now that's sponsored by Dollar Loan Center. Real quick, uh, before we get to a break, uh, MLB is implementing a draft lottery. I know you're an umpire. I know you've done a lot of uh, baseball in your life. You know it as well as anyone. Do you like them having a lottery? The Nationals, A's, and Pirates all have a 16% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Is this a good thing? Yes, 100% it's a good thing. It, it It's going to help with the race to the bottom, and I think that when you tell teams that simply finishing with the best record is not enough to guarantee them the number one pick, it's going to help. Now, in the NBA, it's going to look that way this year because Wembenyama is so far yeah, above so and far beyond above, everyone above else. Everybody, that, right? That's fine. I'll take a three, you know, a top three chance to go ahead and get him. But in Major League Baseball, where frankly one, two, and three don't matter nearly as much as they do elsewhere, I think this is a good choice. They want more teams to try and win at least, right? They do. They, they, uh, you have to take away the incentive for a team like, I don't know, the future Las Vegas A's to throw out the kind of roster that they did this year for an entire season. You, you just you can't say to your fans for an entire season, we're giving you no reason to watch this team without a guarantee that it's going to get better at some point. And, you know, in the, at least in the NFL, when you do that, you're doing it because one player can change the entire thing quickly, like a quarterback who comes in and plays in a rookie year. In the NFL, I mean, in Major League Baseball, the guy you draft number one probably isn't going to help you for four or five years at minimum. 
Speaking of baseball, uh, for the cheaters, Justin Verlander opted out of the last year of his deal. We told you that before the Houston Astros, which was due to pay him $25 million in 2023. 39-year-old righty, one of the best seasons of his career in 2022. 1.75 ERA, 0.383 whip. And yes, sir. Sign him, Yankees. He's the, Sign uh, him. He's the Cy Young Award winner, yes. I don't think there's any question. 